to Sports Touch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelow. And it's hard to believe, but we're already almost a quarter of the way through the 2017 NFL season as week four began last night with the Packers absolutely embarrassing the Chicago Bears 35-14 at Lambeau Field, a game that stood in stark contrast to all the amazing finishes we had in week three, especially during those early games last week. And to help us preview the remaining games left before we reach that quarter poll, it's a pleasure to welcome back yet again our good friend Hal Bent, Patriots writer for MusketFire.com, Cover32.com, and Scout Media, back to the show. Great to have you back, Hal. How you doing? I'm doing great, David. Always glad to be back and talking football after such a great weekend. It absolutely was. The NFL absolutely needed last week, especially given the polarizing political atmosphere that has surrounded the National Football League in recent days. Yes, that was quite a surprise after we had recorded the show and then to see to see the political uprising that took place and all the attention taken away from those games on Sunday. And it was wonderful to have such a great product on the field to turn the attention back where it should be. Yes, and the NFL needs that product more than ever because uh, the league, um, for reasons beyond politics, is headed towards a crossroads, and they need more weeks like that. And please, football gods, make it happen. And But first, let's start with that pathetic display of football last night between the Bears and Packers. And for me, it took that bad product that is weekly Thursday night football to a new low. But the lowest moment of the game for me was that gruesome, vicious hit laid by Bears linebacker Danny Trevathan on Packers wide receiver Devontae Adams. Adams suffered a concussion on the play, but thank God he was, uh, although he was rushed to the hospital afterwards for precautionary testing, he still had movement in his, his extremities and tested completely negative for any head or neck injuries, and he was back at home and uh, and is hopeful to play in week five. So that's the good news. But the bad news is it was one of the most vicious hits I've ever seen. And it illustrates the problem the NFL has with concussions and head trauma in general. And the in this offseason, the owners and the league stressed that there should be suspensions for so-called egregious hits. And I think last night's hit by Trevathan counts. So I, what I'm asking you, Hal, is do you think Danny Trevathan should be suspended for that hit? And if so, for how many games should the suspension be, especially for the league to uh, send out a message that it really does care about player safety? I think the league has no choice but to suspend him. I expect the league would only suspend him one game. I would think if they really wanted to send a message, three games should be the suspension there. That hit was the definition of a defenseless receiver. It was, as you said, gruesome. And those type of hits just have no place in the NFL based upon the way that the league now knows that CTE occurs with those hits to the head and that was just blatant helmet to helmet and like you said best gruesome yes and speaking of cte let's uh, i wanted to talk to you about this hal uh there was a story um reported in a, in a medical journal i forgot the name of the journal but it was through boston university who is the leading authority on cte studies and they it shows that they've discovered a protein a biomarker uh, that could be extracted um during a spinal tap or spinal fluid examination 
that could be used to diagnose CTE in living patients. And that is a very important development for us wanting to, to fight this disease and to solve this problem that is that is facing not just the NFL, but a whole lot of other contact sports like hockey and soccer, for instance. And um, one, there, there, there were some crazy people that uh, that were already like uh, writing doomsday scenarios are saying, oh, they just have found a way to diagnose CT of the living. Is this the end of football? And I said, uh, no. The only way I've said on this program before, the only way, in my opinion, for the NFL to, to overcome the CTE problem is to assist with the research and help find that biological agent, that drug vaccine or whatever that could mitigate the symptoms of CTE and improve the quality of life for people with the disease. That is the only way out of this crisis for the NFL. And I think the NFL should actually be grateful for what Boston University is about to discover because the long term, I only think it could help save the sports viability. What do you think, Hal? I agree completely, David. I think for the NFL having stuck its head in the sand for so long and ignored this issue and ignored these players who basically gave their lives for the game of football is just atrocious. And they should be jumping on board this research. And, you know, just the thought of all of the players whose lives will be extended, who will be able to live a normal life after football, if they can find this marker in the in the living people by extracting this protein you can find players you know it it could become part of you know the regular draft process as well we can weed out the players who you're at risk you're already in the early stages of CTE you need to know this before you take the risk of playing football the players are aware there's a risk now but they don't always know that risk involves me specifically and this could be a huge thing, like you said, for saving the game, because nobody wants to see these players 20, 30 years into the future having all these problems. We don't need any more Junior Seau situations because that's a black eye for the NFL. Hal, I totally agree with what you said. But to play devil's advocate, a lot of people are saying now that if they discover a way to diagnose CT in the living that will cause a lot of people to drop out of the game and end football for good because some uh, players would will decide to stop playing even if they find a shred of uh, of evidence of the disease in their body. But I think they're playing the short game a little too much there. Uh, it's all about the long game, which is about finding that agent that could make this more like diabetes, if you know what I mean. Exactly. And, you know, the NFL is still looking with an eye for growth, and it's not just for television ratings. If you look at the other sports like hockey and like baseball, some of their greatest periods of growth have come from the international market. And that's one the NFL has yet to really tap and to start being able to find these players in other countries who are now growing up knowing about football, playing football, and that's a huge influx of talent that the NFL is desperately working to try to add to their game and catch up to where Major League Baseball, where the NBA, and where the NHL are already mining talent for their league. Absolutely, and as long as this cloud that is CTE and head trauma 
hovers over the NFL, they're going to be unable to do it. You have to invent your way out of the crisis, and and revolutionary helmets will only go so far. In medicine, it all comes down to biological agents, just like it always has, to extend survival and improve the quality of life for patients with various diseases, and CTE is going to be no different. And this puts us on the beginning and hopefully on the fast track to solving the problem once and for all. But now back to the field, folks, and continuing with last night's game between the Bears and the Packers. Uh, Mike Glennon, uh, he has been absolutely atrocious this year. Like Bleacher Report in their uh, NFL 1000 series, they ranked him as the 32nd of 32 quarterbacks uh, in the NFL based on player grades. Is there any reasons for the Bears to not start Mitchell Trubisky next week against the Vikings? The only reason I can see is that they don't want to expose him to the pressure, to the hits that were being taken by Glennon on Thursday night and let that offensive line start playing a little bit better before you throw him out there and don't end up with a shell-shocked rookie quarterback. That's the only reason I can see to keep him on the bench right now. Oh, very interesting, Hal. And uh, that is uh, an argument that people who are in favor of letting quarterbacks grow on the bench um, longer than most people would say uh, advocate by saying not to expose them to a situation where they're like, likely to be shell-shocked. And another reason why Trubisky might be likely to be shell-shocked is because the Bears have no receivers. Their offense is just Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and you saw that last night. The Packers had no respect for the Bears' wide receivers and basically said, you can't beat us because we're going to take away the running game and cover those backs coming out of the backfield in the passing game. And the Bears had... Absolutely no answer there. The Packers certainly had zero respect for the Bears' offense last night, Hal. And uh, speaking of offenses, there is uh, one game on Sunday that I'm looking forward to that could be a shootout. We're talking the Rams and the Cowboys facing off at Jerry World at noon. And this game, I see the Rams, Sands Aaron Donald, and yes, they have Wade Phillips, but this Rams defense has been grossly uninspiring for most of the start of the season. Yes, they uh, they laid a, a butt whooping on the Scott Tolzien Colts, but that pales in comparison to what they saw with the Redskins giving up 223 yards and Kyle Shanahan's offense that nearly made an epic comeback on them last uh, Thursday night. And they still have no solution to stop the run. And the Cowboys, he have Sean Lee, arguably their best defender, um, not 100%, but Demarcus Lawrence uh, is, could be making that case for Cowboys' best veteran. He is is arguably fine, but the Cowboys are banged up in the secondary and have uh, some youth and inexperience there. So uh, this game could easily be the highest-scoring game of the weekend. And do you see this game coming down to who has the ball last? I certainly do. I have this one as a high-scoring affair as well. I think the Rams getting cornerback Kayvon Webster back this weekend is going to give their defense a little boost. But like you said, I don't think he's going to do much against Ezekiel Elliott um, or anybody on that defense the way that they've been um, allowing rushing yards, which is just mind-boggling considering how strong that defense was last year. Absolutely. And a lot of people are saying that Aaron Donald is out of place in the Wade Phillips uh, Phillips defense. Do you share that sentiment? 
Actually, I don't. I think if you go back and look at the history of Wade Phillips, wherever he's been, he's been able to adjust his defense to take advantage of the skills of his best players. And I think it may be an adjustment time because Aaron Donald wasn't with the team most of the offseason. I think that has more to do with his lack of production and lack of fit in the defense. And I think by you know, week eight or so, it's going to be a moot point. Oh, very good point. Yes, Aaron Donald, since he held out for all a trade cap, he is still fighting off rust, and he's still uh, getting used to the system. So uh, so by week eight, as you said, Donald should be rolling by then, and he's too talented not to be rolling by then or if not sooner. And I think the biggest question for the Rams and whether or not they could pull off the upset in Arlington to be more geographically accurate uh, this Sunday is um, their run defense. And do you think they're capable of fixing their run defense just enough in order to contain Ezekiel Elliott and pull off the upset? They, I, I have them pulling off the upset. I think Elliott is going to have a big game for Dallas. I just worry about that big Dallas defense being able to stop the Rams offense because Jared Goff has turned it up to another level this year and is playing like the player the Rams thought they got as the number one pick last year. Plus, Sean McVay was the Redskins offensive coordinator these past couple of years, and he obviously is very familiar with what the Cowboys do on defense, and you could expect uh, Sean McVay to have a game plan that will be ready to go for Jared Goff that I expect will be effective. And who would you say this game is more important for? Because uh, because both these teams find themselves in pretty competitive situations. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, who are obviously in a three-way tie for first in their division right now, but with Ezekiel Elliott, uh, a hearing next week on the injunction um, that is preventing his suspension from taking place. Uh, so the legal questions facing Ezekiel Elliott and that three-way tie, and plus with the Packers coming to to, to Dallas um, in week five, uh, the Cowboys, uh, this might be a more important game for the Cowboys. But on the other hand, the Rams, after this game, they have to go home to play the Seattle Seahawks. And yes, the Seahawks uh, haven't looked like themselves the first couple weeks, but uh, that is likely to be a tight race of the division between the Rams and the Seahawks for arguably the entire season. So who would you say this game is more important for? Both teams have a case. Exactly right. Both teams do. I think the Rams you know, need to pile up as many wins as they can because we all know Seattle is a sleeping giant in the NFC West. But I think it's Dallas that the game is the most important to. Philadelphia has had a strong start. The Redskins look like they're going to make a move this year with Kirk Cousins playing so well. So I think Dallas is the one that the game is the most important for them to keep up with Philadelphia and Washington right now. And uh, you said you have the Rams winning this game, and why do you have them winning this game? I'm going to point to a little bit of improvement on defense, another good game out of Jared Goff, and a high-scoring, close win for the Rams. I believe it's going to be high-scoring and close, but in the end, I think Ezekiel Elliott and that Cowboys running game proved to be the difference against that suspect Rams run defense that the Cowboys eke out a very close win by a score of 30-27. to 27. And now, 
from Arlington to Atlanta. Let's talk about the Falcons who are hosting the surprising 2-1 Buffalo Bills who don't look like a team that is tanking at all. Sean McDermott is doing an incredible job with that team so far, and given the amount of resources they have in the draft this year, the Bills could uh, be a, a force to be reckoned with in the years ahead. And But the reason why the Bills are off to such a very good start is because they're currently the only team ranked in the top 10 in both run defense and pass defense. Do you think the Bills have what it takes to give the Falcons a run from their money from start to finish? I think the Bills may be able to hold that Falcons offense down for a little while. But, you know, the Falcons have a history of, you know, knowing what Sean McDermott, the new head coach in Buffalo, did while he was in Carolina. They know that defense, and it's probably just a matter of time until, just like they did last year, they start to pull away and put up some points. That could very well be true. And what do you think the Bills need to do in order to pull off a shocking upset in Atlanta on Sunday? The Bills are going to have to have a give Atlanta a huge dose of LaShawn McCoy and control that clock and keep that explosive Falcons offense standing on the sideline. The more the Bills can do that, the better it is for their offense. They need to keep the score low, grind out the ball, and convert in the red zone. Absolutely. They cannot let the Falcons get an early lead in this game because I think in order to have a have their best chance, the Bills have to draw first blood and potentially build a one to two score lead uh, early on. And who do you have winning this game and why? I have the Falcons just because they have not even been playing that well. They're three and oh, the offense should come together. You know, Julio Jones, if they get him the ball enough times, he's the most dangerous receiver in the NFL. And I have the Falcons pulling away from the Bills in the second half, 27 to 13. I actually have the Bills keeping it very close because, yes, the Falcons are familiar with Sean McDermott's system, but Sean McDermott, having been the defensive coordinator for the Panthers, he's also familiar with the Falcons' offensive system. And I think uh, there will be... McDermott will win his fair share of matches, but Steve Sarkeesian and Matt Ryan will win their fair share of uh, matches as well. It'll be the Falcons winning in the end, but I think it's going to be very close. And now moving on to an NFC North duel between the Lions and Vikings. And uh, whoever wins will be tied for first with the Packers atop the NFC North standings uh, headed into week five. And Vikings defensive end Everson Griffin is playing like an early candidate for defensive MVP. He is absolutely wreaking havoc in every single game. Heck, uh, I, I always knew Everson Griffin had freakish athletic potential, but now it appears he is, I'm not saying he was bad before, but he has added more dimensions to his game that many people are saying that he is finally uh, making a case to be in that tier alongside Khalil Mack, Von Miller, Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt, you name it. Uh, and, but he had some harsh words for Lions left tackle Greg Robinson uh, this week. He called him, quote, lazy. And uh, I I don't think Greg Robinson is a dangerous left tackle at all. He's only a Band-Aid as the Lions wait for Taylor Decker to get back. But uh, Griffin uh, might have uh, made a mistake by uh, speaking such harsh words. Do you think the Lions will make Everson Griffin pay dearly for his comments about Greg Robinson? Or do you think Griffin has a point? <laughs> Well, he may have a point, but, you know, 
I, I'm from the Northeast here, which is Bill Belichick country. And the, the rule around here is that you don't give the other team the bo- bulletin board material before the game. Um, I don't think it's going to have much of a difference in the game, but never a wise move to just, you know, shoot your mouth off before the game. Let your play on the field talk for you. Everson Griffin is, as you said, he's already got four sacks. He's proven to be an improved run defender as well, setting the edge outside and just play the game. Show us how you make your statement on the field, Everson. And I think that's all you need to do. I completely agree. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Lions uh, decide to contain Everson Griffin, because I expect them to give Greg Robinson some help, especially on passing downs. And looking at the Vikings, they had an impressive win. Undermanned, dare I say, last week with Case Keenum at quarterback over the Buccaneers. They just manhandled the Buccaneers on both sides of the ball. And what do the Vikings need to do to make it two in a row with Case Keenum under center? Yeah, I mean, I was amazed with Case Keenum playing so well, you know, and and I'm starting to think, well, maybe this is a situation where those young wide receivers in Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen they may be the game breakers in that offense there that are carrying Case Keenum right now because that's arguably the best duo of wide receivers in the NFL through the first three weeks of the season. So if he keeps feeding them the ball, they should be able to keep putting points up. Absolutely. And also to add another fact for our listeners, uh, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen rank in the top four in receiving yards in the NFL through the first three weeks. That's how amazing this young Vikings receiving core has been. And when you look at this game, what do you think is the matchup that will decide this game and why? Well, it's it's going to be that Lions secondary trying to hang on and keep the ball away from that duo. Um, Keenan really hasn't moved the ball around a lot outside of those two wide receivers. You know, like you said, they're both top four right now. So the spotlight's on them, and that's where that Detroit secondary, which has been a little dinged up through the first couple of games, is going to have to make a stand for the Lions to go on the road and win this game. You could very well be right, and who do you have winning this game? I do have the Vikings winning the game. Um, Closer game, but 24-17 Vikings. This was one of the hardest games for me to pick, but I just have a feeling that the Lions are going to be extra motivated to win last week because of that heartbreaking loss they had against the Falcons. Yes, uh, they got the call on the Golden Tate non-touchdown right, but that 10-second runoff rule um, is going to have to be tweaked in the offseason, and the Lions should have gotten another chance to punch it in. Uh, So they're going to be feeling more motivation to win, and the Vikings might be a little too caught up in their... A success last week. It's going to be a very close game, an old-fashioned NFC North grudge match, but I see the Lions pulling it off at the end, 24-21. He's Hale Bent, ladies and gentlemen, Patriots writer for Cover32.com, MusketFire.com, and Scout Media. Hale, we thank you once again for joining us to preview yet another week in the NFL, but before we go, you know the drill. We are going to preview the rest of these Week 4 matchups in our rapid-fire segment. And I'm going to start the timer at five minutes, and let's start with the Sunday morning matchup between the Saints and Dolphins in London. Who do you got? 
I've got the Saints winning uh, 31 to 20 in this game. I have the Saints winning too. I think uh, that Dolphins defense is a mess right now, especially in their back seven, and Drew Brees will absolutely pick them apart. An AFC North matchup in Baltimore between the Steelers and Ravens, two teams that were uh, dealt some bad losses last week. Who do you have in that game? I have the Steelers breaking that four consecutive loss streak to Baltimore and pulling out a close game, as always, against the Ravens. They're close, 24 to 20. I have the Steelers winning, too. I just don't think that Ravens offense has enough to keep up with Roethlisberger and those weapons. The Battle of Ohio between the Bengals and Browns. Yeah, I'm calling this the Desperation Bowl. Um, I'm picking Cleveland. I think this is going to be a close game, but, hey, Cleveland's due. Come on. I agree that Cleveland's due, but unfortunately, them being without Jamie Collins and likely being without Miles Garrett again, and the Bengals plan to feature rookie running back Joe Mixon. Mixon should have a very productive day, and I think that is enough to give the Bengals the win. Uh, To your backyard, Hal, with the Patriots hosting the Panthers. Yeah, the Patriots' defense has been terrible this year, and... Lo and behold, who comes walking into Foxborough but the offensively challenged Panthers? It should be the shot in the arm the Patriots need. I have them winning 34-20. to I agree. The Patriots should definitely win that game, and especially getting Dante Hightower back on defense will give the defense another shot in the arm. And the Jaguars and the Jets, the Jaguars and that impressive defense going into the Meadowlands to take on the Jets, coming off a rather impressive win over the Dolphins. It's an interesting matchup. Um, I'd like to believe in the Jets, but I think with Jalen Ramsey coming back from injury and defensive tackle Malik Jackson, that Jaguars defense should be stifling again, and I have the Jaguars winning 24-10. to Defense wins for Tom Coughlin, as it will for the entire season. Jacksonville's defense is the best unit on the field that day out of all the four units. It'll be the Jaguars again. And the 49ers traveling to the desert to take on the Cardinals. Who do you got? I want to pick the the 49ers. I loved seeing that offensive explosion on Thursday night. But even with a short week at home and offensive line injuries, I still think the Cardinals pull it up and pull it off in a little bit of an upset, 24 to 20. I agree. The Cardinals barely pull it off by a similar score. Eagles at Chargers. Who do you got? Well, the Chargers are desperate. This is their whole season. They're 0-3 already. They've got Melvin Ingram, who's been one of the best defensive players in the NFL. The Eagles are historically, the last couple of years, a bad road team. That's enough for me. I'm going to go with the Chargers, 27-24. to I agree, plus the Eagles being without Fletcher Cox and Ronald Darby. They are banged up everywhere on defense. The Chargers should be able to take advantage and win their first game of the season. The Giants and Bucks at the Pirate Ship down in Tampa. Who do you got? Tough to pick against the Buccaneers at home, but their linebacker core is depleted. Quan Alexander's out. Levante David's out. I'm going to say that Giants offense from the second half last week is not a mirage, and the Giants pull it out on the road 21-20. to you could very well be right. This was one of the tougher games to pick, pick, but I will stick with the Bucks. I think Jameis Winston and the offense find a way to get it done at home. And moving on to what I call the Humble Pie Bowl, two teams that were dealt humbling losses last week, the Raiders and Broncos in a classic AFC West matchup in the mile high. Who do you got? 
but this game is just worth the price of the ticket to see Michael Crabtree and Aqib Talib playing again. <laughs> I think it's going to be close. I'm going with one of my favorite players in the NFL having a big game, C.J. Anderson, and the Broncos pull it out 24-23. It's going to be very close, but I actually think it's that other running back, Marshawn Lynch, and that Raiders offensive line that are going to be motivated after their disastrous showing against Washington, and they will be the difference in a very close game. The Sunday nighter between the Colts and Seahawks. Who do you got? Boy, two teams that could uh, make this into a defensive struggle. Um, I just can't see Jacoby Brissett beating the Seahawks. The home field advantage is too much. I have it 16-9 Seahawks over the Colts. I have the Seahawks winning as well, but uh, given how bad that Colts defense is, I think uh, the second half uh, performance by Russell Wilson in Tennessee proves not to be a mirage as the Seahawks continue their improvement on offense by a score of 28-17. to And last but not least, Monday Night Football at Arrowhead Stadium. Arguably the best team in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs, hosting a Redskins team coming off an impressive win against the Raiders. Who do you got? I, I was so impressed by the Redskins. I really, really want to pick them. But can anybody stop Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt right now? No. I'm going to say... <laughs> That's because you've got Kareem Hunt on your fantasy team, David. I admit the bias. <laughs> but uh, the Chiefs do have a rookie kicker going um, now, Harrison Butker. I'm going to say that Redskins just pull it off. The Chiefs miss a field goal to tie and send it to overtime. 27-24 Redskins. I disagree. I think the Chiefs win 24-17, to but uh, that you could be right. Uh, and, and for Kirk Cousins' sake, he is definitely hoping to uh, snap that streak of quarterback struggling big time in primetime at Arrowhead. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. but we'll be back next week with a look at Week 5, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. For Hale Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, man in the box, I'm David Cromwell saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.